You can never have joy in your Christian life under legalism because there's always something you're not doing well enough. There's always something that's going to keep you from having peace. And every one of Paul's letters, he says that to them. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of the Passionate Preaching Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Nathan Browning of Calvary Baptist Church in Hiawassee, Georgia. And today's message is from Pastor Jim Alter of Grace Baptist Church in Sydney, Ohio. Brother Jim's talking on the topic of liberty in the Christian life at a pastor's conference in Callahan, Florida. A common struggle in our spiritual life is being burdened by sins that God's already removed. A lot of times as Christians, it's hard to understand the fact that God, when He saved us, saved us from sins past, present, and future. Today, Brother Alter is going to deal with legalism and liberty in the church. My prayer is that you find comfort in knowing that God has lifted the burden of sin from your life so that you could serve Him better. Man, I'm excited to get to preach what I'm going to preach to you tonight. And um, I am, you know, I try not to use superlatives, you know, the best or whatever. I did that Wednesday night, and I still think that's the greatest verse in the Bible because that's the theme of the Bible. But the message I get to preach to you tonight, and it's fun to preach it to Liberty Baptist Church because I want to preach to you on liberty tonight. And if, if you'll listen, not to me, but to the Scriptures, because we're going to look at the Bible a lot. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But if you'll listen to the Scriptures tonight, I want to give you the gift of liberty tonight. I want, I want to give you that gift. And I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to say to all of my friends, you preachers, you probably need this message. You, you, you and your wives probably need this message more than your church folks do. Um, so I, I just, this is, I, I told uh, Brother Josh a few minutes ago that this is heavy on me tonight because I grew up under legalism. Did anybody else here grow up under just really strict legalism? And I almost ran away, I almost left Christianity. Most of the people that I grew up with did. They left it. They're gone. How many of you know people like that? And one of the problems with legalism is this. You can never live up to it. You can never have joy in your Christian life under legalism because there's always something you're not doing well enough. There's always something that's going to keep you from having peace. And every one of Paul's letters, he says that to them. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. That's what he wants us to have. Are you all with me on this? That's what he wants us to have. And somehow, among independent fundamental Baptists, we have this taint of legalism. Now, tonight I'm going to tell you where that came from. It didn't come from the Bible. I'm going to tell you where it came from. I'm going to give you some illustrations of it, and we're going to look at the Scriptures. But I want to read a couple of things to you. Before we get to our text, let me read this to you. When you shall, and please don't say amen to this, okay? When you shall have been baptized, keep to a good life in the commandments of God 
so that you may preserve your baptism to the very end. I do not tell you that you will live here without sin, but they are venial sins, which this life is never without. Baptism was instituted for all sins, for light sins, without which we cannot live, prayer was instituted. But do not commit those sins on account of which you would have to be separated from the body of Christ. Perish the thought. For those whom you see doing penance have committed crimes, either adultery or some other enormities. That is why they are doing penance. If their sins were light, daily prayer would suffice to blot them out. In the church, therefore, there are three ways in which sins are forgiven, in baptisms, in prayer, and in the greater humility of penance. Now, how many of you can tell that's all heresy? So that's Augustine. And so whenever you hear a Protestant preacher or a Baptist preacher quote Augustine, here's what I want you to think. Okay, you ready? This guy's an idiot. That's what I want you to think. Okay? How about this? Under John Calvin in Geneva, once a month, rich and poor, the powerful and the weak had to submit to questioning by professional police. For hours, since the ordinances declared that such examination must be done in a leisurely fashion, White-haired, respectable, tried, and hitherto trusted men must be examined like schoolboys as to whether they knew the prayers by heart or as to why they had failed to attend one of Master Calvin's sermons. But with such catechizing and moralizing, the visitation was by no means at an end. The members of this moral cheka thrust fingers into every pie. They felt the women's dresses to see whether their skirts were not too long or too short whether these garments had superfluous frills or dangerous slits. The police carefully inspected the coiffure, that's the hairstyle, to see that it did not tower too high. Y'all remember the Big Bang Theory? You know the big... Remember the... Um, the police carefully inspected that. Then they counted the rings on the victim's fingers and looked to see how many pairs of shoes there were in the cupboard. From the bedroom, they passed on to the kitchen table to ascertain whether the prescribed diet was not being exceeded by a soup or a course of meat or whether sweets and jams were hidden away somewhere. That sounds like Michelle Obama, Mike Bloomberg. Then the pious policeman would continue his examination of the rest of the house. He pried into bookshelves on the chance of there being a book devoid of the consistories imprimatur. The servants were asked about the behavior of their masters, and the children were cross-examined as to the doings of their parents. Prohibited were theaters, amusements, popular festivals, festivals, any kind of dancing or playing. Even so innocent a support as skating stirred Calvin's bile. Doesn't Calvin just sound like a peach? The only tailored attire was sober and almost monkish, Jeff Faggart. The tailors, therefore, were forbidden unless they had special permission from the town authorities to cut in accordance with new fashions. Girls were forbidden to wear silk before they reached the age of 15 years. Above that age, they were not allowed to wear velvet. Lace was forbidden. Gloves were forbidden. Frills and slashed shoes were forbidden. Forbidden was the use of litters and of wheeled carriages. Forbidden were family feasts to which more than 20 persons had been invited. Do you want to know where the legalism came from in independent Baptist churches? 
from the Puritans. The Puritans got it from John Calvin. That's where it came from. It doesn't come from the Scriptures. It doesn't come from the Bible at all. How many of you have heard of Harry Ironside? Have you heard of him? He, when in his younger days, he was a part of the Salvation Army, um, which is Wesleyan. And I'll explain Wesleyanism in a little while. But it's, it's, so that's his background. And he said this, uh, I reasoned that the Bible promised entire relief from indwelling sin to, to all who were wholly surrendered to the will of God. That I had thus surrendered seemed to me certain. Why then had I not been fully delivered from the carnal mind? Now listen. It seemed to me that I had met every condition and that God on His part had failed to perform what He had promised. You see, that's what legalism does to, to us. It doesn't come from the Bible. Now let me explain what I mean by legalism. Because fundamentalists like to say that they're not legalists. And technically, legalism, there are things that you have to do in order to be saved. So that's technical definition of legalism. And so what, what fundamentalist legalists say is, well, we don't believe that you have to do anything to be saved but, but believe. Okay? And they, they emphasize that. But then they make statements like this. Tell me if you've ever heard this. A Christian would never do that. Anybody ever heard that? Somebody, you know, does something, you know, commits adultery or whatever. Well, there's no way that person's saved. You ever heard somebody say that? I want to ask you how many, how many times you have said that. Christian would never do that. Any person who makes that statement, they have one of two problems. They either just don't know what they're talking about. Or, listen, or they have a false theology, a wrong understanding of the Scriptures. And man, let me tell you, how many of you were, were struck by Brother Courtney's admission of you know, being trained in a cult and how long it's taken to get liberty from that. How many of you, that, that really struck, it, it really struck me. How many of you, that really, you noticed that? And that it's not, he's not done, right? That's what legalism does. It absolutely steals your joy. And you feel like you can never live up to the standards that have been set before you. So let's just be honest. Let's just... We're brothers and sisters in Christ here. This is a family. How many of you would say that you have those feelings now? That, and, and they might be all the time or just periodically that you just can't live up to your faith. Would you raise your hands? How many of you? Hold them up so everybody else can see. So people know they're not alone. That's why this message that I want to preach to you tonight is so important. Because, man, we've been lied to. Now, some of the people that lied to us, they did it to control us. They really did. They're just awful, awful, horrible people. Just really semi-demonic in their desire to control people. That was Calvin. I'm just telling you, if somebody from the church came and wanted to start feeling my wife's dress, we're going to have a problem. 
she would kick their tail. <laughs> it's, I don't even have to get involved. See, one of the key things, and this is, Jeff Faggart helped me with this so much in his monkish attire. Um, the bummer is he preaches next, so I, I'm in trouble. But one of the things he helped me with so much as, as he was helping me to understand Baptist doctrine and, and things, I would call him, and I don't know if you other guys have done this, is it okay to do such and such? I don't know if you guys would ever do that, Brother Jeff. And every time, he would never answer the question. He was like, I don't know, brother. That's between you and the Lord. But it was more like, I don't know, brother. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that helped me. And do you know why he was saying that? It's not because he didn't have an opinion on what I was asking. It's because it's between me and the Lord. That's our doctrine of individual soul. Liberty. How many of you can never hear that word again without liberty biberty? You know that commercial? <laughs> I love that guy. Man, he's fantastic. It's individual soul liberty. I had a preacher call me, well-known. I mean, he's a big shot. And he called me and said, Brother Alter, I keep hearing this term, individual soul liberty. I was taught, this is what him saying, I was taught individual soul responsibility. What's the difference? And I said, individual soul responsibility was invented by people who don't believe in individual soul liberty. Do you know why they invented it? Because they're afraid of you. See, here's what they don't believe. Is there anybody here that's saved? Are you saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God in you? Then you don't need me to tell you what to do. Do you have a Bible? Do you believe it? You don't need me to tell you what to do. My job is to preach the scriptures, and then you choose whether or not you're going to submit to the scriptures. You also choose whether or not what I'm saying about the scriptures is true. I have no authority here. The only authority that I have is where I agree with that King James Bible. If what I say disagrees with that Bible, completely disregard whatever it is that I say. And it's so important that we get this. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at the Bible and I want us to try to understand this subject of liberty. So uh, I said 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to go there in a minute. Just put a ribbon there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to do this in a little bit different order. What did, I, did I say 1 Corinthians? I mean 1 John. <clears throat> In my church, you know never to actually write a reference down until we're there. 1 John, chapter 3. Remember, there, here's what I'm addressing. A Christian would never do that. If that guy's saved, there ain't nobody lost. I've said that. It was about Dave Hiles, so it might be true. But Now look. I want us to read this verse, and I want us to read it, and I want to see if that you can read along without cringing. All right, so 1 John chapter 3, and look at verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. 
Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, here's how I have heard that text preached all my life. Let's see if any of you have heard this. All right? Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not continually commit sin. They don't make sin their continual practice. How many of you have heard that said about that? And so here is Jim Alter's commentary on that commentary. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That is not what the Bible says at all. What, is the, what does it say? Let's look at verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now, how many of you here are born of God? Okay. How many of you here do not sin? It's so funny. A couple of... <laughs> I, I don't know. Ready for this? Do you want to know one person in this room that does not sin? I stand before you today completely sinless. I'm not joking. I am completely sinless. And it's not some weird Wesleyan Methodist sinless perfectionism. It's the blood of Jesus. I just got goosebumps saying it out loud. It's the righteousness of Christ. You want to know what's really cool? I get to go to heaven. I get to go to heaven, listen, listen, and not be condemned. There is therefore now some condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? No. There is therefore now no condemnation. Is anybody here that's in Christ Jesus? There's no condemnation. Do you know what I'd like to tell you right now? You're free. I could cry. You're free. Anybody here that you really do, you live under the weight of your past sin. Would you raise your hand? You, say, you, you just live under the weight of your past sin. Man, you don't have to do that. It's gone. Someone said that he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. They said he's, he's cast it into the deepest sea and he's posted a no fishing sign. It's just gone. Your sin is gone. Man, we Christians, we ought to live every day in joy and in freedom because our sin is gone. Man, I love it. And, and, and here's what people will say. And there are people that either come from a Nazarene background or a Pentecostal background and, or a legalistic fundamentalist background. They'll say, oh, so you think you can do anything you want to? You know what my answer is? Yes. You think you could kill somebody and go to heaven? Yeah, I wanted to on the road 10 minutes ago. <laughs> what did Jesus say about that? Seriously. I just killed that guy. Man, I wish it was really, I wanted to. Listen, 
I said it the other night, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. You see, these, these people like, like Augustine, well, those are venial sins, you know, and, and you, you, you can pray and take care of those. Or you have baptism or you have penance. These are people that think that they know what sins they've committed. Can I just tell you something? You don't have any idea how bad your sin is. You don't have any idea. Neither do I. Do you think God does? That's why Jesus died on the cross. And if we could just somehow get our heads around this, and it's so funny, whenever I preach this and there's fundamentalists there, this is what I look at. I'm saved, see. Larry Clayton, old preacher I know, he said, I'm saved, I'm just not mad about it. <laughs> So let's look, at, let's look at 1 John chapter 3 again. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Well, let's, let's try to get an understanding of what that's talking about. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. My message tonight is we're going to look at two men, and then we're going to look at three men. And there's different ways that the Scriptures handles, there's different ways that the Scripture handles this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, For which cause we faint not, though our... What's that next word? I want everybody to get there. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our... What's that word? Outward man perish, yet the... What's that? Inward man is renewed day by day. So there's two men mentioned there. All right? This is not a trick question. What are the two men that are mentioned there? The... And, all right, so the outward man is what you see. That's what you look at. That's, that's, that's our flesh. That's dying every day, right? I used to be able to run and jump, and now I shuffle. Okay, why is that? Because the outward man is dying every day. It just gets worser and worser. It just does. And that's just the aging process. The older I get, the more aware I am of my, of my sinfulness in my flesh. That's the outward man. The good news is the inward man is renewed day by day. So what does that mean? Well, look at Galatians chapter 2. Man, I hope you all have this verse memorized. Verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live, where? In the flesh, I live by my faith. Whose faith do I live by? The faith of the Son of God. How many of you never noticed that right there? Isn't that interesting? You see, it's not my faithfulness that keeps me saved. It's His faithfulness that keeps me saved. Man, I love that. So the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Let's read on. I do not frustrate the grace of God. 
Now, how many of you people tend to frustrate you? Right? You are on my last nerve. Man, when President Trump said that the other day, he said he's up to here with Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> I've had it up to here with Bloomberg. I thought that was hilarious. And it's a short joke. It's still funny. <laughs> but do you know that you can't frustrate the grace of God? There is, there is no sin that Christ's blood can't wash away. Listen, before or after you're saved. Now, should we continue in sin? God forbid. But you could, and you could still go to heaven. Man, fundamentalists get scared to death when preachers say that stuff out loud. You know, it's funny, I, I, this is a problem that I have. I want to list some rock music that you could listen to, but it's all from 30 years ago. <laughs> I don't know any of the new people. Who's a new rock group? Who's, who's a new really bad rock group? You're all afraid to say it out loud, because I, I would say, how do you know that? Michael, what's a new... Uh... <laughs> yes, barely man enough, yes. Um... See, that doesn't work at all. You could listen to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> what? System of a Down. Okay, you could listen to System of a Down every day for the rest of your life and still go to heaven. Now, do you think that God wants you to do that? No. But how many of you, how many of you, were born. Would you raise your hand? <laughs> Who here, after you were born, did some really bad stuff and so were unborn? Well, it's all the empty seats. It's those people. <laughs> just... No. Once you're born, you can't be unborn. Uh, so I have a son, Jacob, and Jacob... You know, I love him, but let's say that he lived a life or whatever to where I said to him that you can't come to the house anymore. I can't imagine what that would be, but let's say that I did that. Would he cease being my son? Anybody here born again? You can't be unborn again. You can't cease to be a child of God by your behavior. But man, he will spank you. Is that biblical? Or you're a bastard. That's what the Bible says. I said in Sunday school last week, I said, here's the way you, some of your parents treat your kids. Treat your kids. Come here, you little bastard. Come here. Because you're afraid to spank them. Read it. Read your Bible. For, or Hebrews chapter 12. It's right there in the scriptures. Now, here's the thing that's so important that we get. It's so important. Our Father is a just Father. He will chasten us, but He will never cease being our Father. Young people, you need to understand, there, there's no sin that you can commit, if you're saved, that will stop you from going to heaven. He'll always love you. He will always love you. But I can tell you this, if you live that way, your life's going to be terrible. Your life will be worse if you live that way, your life will be worse in this world 
than if you had never been saved. Is that what the Bible teaches? It's crazy. We've seen it. We're, we're all, we preachers here, we're all old enough to have seen it. How many of you folks are old enough to have seen that? Somebody gets saved, they walk away from the Lord, and their life is worse than the lost people that you know. Right? So that's, we're not teaching that you ought to go out and sin. What I'm telling you tonight is if you do that, you are still saved. That's what the Bible teaches. It's so important. So, and, and my time, I've got to get through this quickly. But our problem is we are afraid of our Father as if He told us to clean out the garage and now He's pulling into the driveway and we haven't done it yet. How many of you remember those days? Right? I mean, you're cleaning as fast as you can and there's just no way you're going to get it done. Do you understand that's the way many Christians live their Christian life? Man, the Lord's about to return, and I'm not done all the stuff I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to pray four hours a day, and I'm supposed to go soul winning four hours a day, and I'm supposed to read my Bible four hours a day, and I'm supposed to work a full-time job, and now I've got 37 hours of work to do in 24 hours, and I don't even know how to do math. <laughs> it's where we live. And preachers, you don't mean to do this, but that's the way your kids feel. I know I was one of them. I can't tell you how many times I threw away my rock tapes. And I'm not telling you guys to go listen to rock music. I'm just telling you that cycle of good and bad and struggle and trying to live for the Lord and the weight of other people's rules and not biblical, biblical admonition. Man, I, I lived under that. And I watch Christians that live under that. And it's just bondage. And it destroys people. Go with me to oh, Galatians chapter 1. No, I'm sorry, it's Galatians chapter uh, 3 and verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians... Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And so here's what preachers would do. They're, they're going to give you a whole list of stuff that you're supposed to obey right there because the word obey is in the text. Let's read on. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Look at this. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? See, here's what we do. We belong to the cult of trying harder. You know, I know I failed this week. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to try harder. And here's what we do. It's like an apple. An apple wants to become an orange. And, and, and so the apple, it just goes, I'm an orange, I'm an orange, I'm an orange. And you know what happens? It bursts a blood vessel in its head. <laughs> you know what happens? It's still an apple. The Bible makes it very clear. Can a leopard change his spots? Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Michael Jackson tried. It didn't work. <laughs> it's for the children. <laughs> I 
And that's the way that we all live our Christian lives. It's just we go and we hear preaching and we come and pray and, we, and then we just say we're going to try harder, we're going to try harder, we're going to try harder. And we end up in this place where we, we have no liberty to serve God because we are so controlled by our flesh because we live in a body of sin. And we struggle and we struggle and we struggle. So uh, th this question is such a good question. Are you so foolish, have you begun in the, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Look at Romans chapter 7. I believe Brother Josh referenced this last night. Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Look at verse 22. Verse 21 would be good too. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. How many of you have ever been praying or reading your Bible and had an evil thought? Right? So when I would do good, evil is present with me. Look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the what? The inward man. But I see another law where? in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I, what's that word? I am, not I was, I am. Who shall deliver me from the, what's that word right there? Body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. What is Paul saying? Is he thankful that he sins? No, but man, he's thankful that he understands what's going on. My body is sinful. This body is sinful. If anybody tells you that, that their body is not sinful, they do not understand the Bible. They don't understand the reality of the Scriptures. Look at the book of Philippians chapter 3. It's funny that we're going back there again. See, most legalists, if you go and you hear, a, you go to a Bible conference or a preacher's fellowship, they're always preaching out of the stories of the Old Testament. Always. And notice that we have been, except for the Zechariah, we're looking at the return of Christ, we've been in the, in the Pauline epistles, learning things for us. So look at verse uh, 10. Uh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Look at this. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Boy, that means, boy, I've got to do some stuff so that I can attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Well, let's read the rest of the passage. Look at what it says in verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Now, how many of you know that you're not perfect? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know that? All right, some of you did not, didn't raise your hand. Brother Stevens, somebody needs to let him know that he's not perfect. I think the person sitting next to him is just the perfect person to let him know that. <laughs> not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that, how many of you think that's an interesting statement? Look at verse 15. 
Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. He said, wait a minute, I'm not perfect, but let us who are perfect, how many of you see a little schizophrenia there? So we need to read what's in between to find out what he's talking about. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. See, I'm trying to live the life that Christ has already given me. Did you hear what I just said? I'm trying to live the Christian life that Jesus Christ has already given me. He's given me sinless perfection. I want to live a life that is as sinless as I possibly can to live up to what he's already given me. But here's the good news. I don't have to do that to go to heaven. Let's keep reading on. Brethren, verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this thing, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. So what this is talking about, it's so clear that, no, I have not personally attained, but Jesus Christ has already given that to me. See, I'm not waiting for perfection to come later. Jesus Christ has, in, in the new man, in the inward man, has already given that to me. You know the passage, look at uh, Galatians chapter 5. See, these are the passages that people really struggle with. Look at um, verse 19. Now, is that a time word? Now. You see that? Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the what? Flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. That's a bad list, right? And in case you forgot anything, he said, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so here's what you hear. Man, if a guy gets drunk, he can't go to heaven. Drunkard can't go to heaven. And that's true. That's why it's good that when you get saved, you're no longer a drunkard. That's why it's so wonderful that your flesh never goes to heaven. Because either you die and you're buried, your spirit goes into heaven, your soul goes to heaven, and then at the resurrection, your, your soul and your body are rejoined, and your body is changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, and you become like Jesus. Your flesh never goes to heaven. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? All your tattoos fall off. I don't know, whatever. 
Praise God. It's, it's such an amazing thing. Now, so you have two men. You have your inward man and your outward man. Now I want you to understand something else that's these three men. And I, I, I'll do this quickly, but I think that if you'll get these three men down in your mind, it will help you so much. This, this battle, uh, look at, uh, we're in Galatians 5, look at verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Y'all have experienced that, right? But here's the good news. And the Spirit against the flesh. And notice that Spirit is capitalized. So who will win? The Holy Spirit or your flesh? Who's going to win? The Holy Spirit. I love it. I want you to say this right now. We win. Are you ready? Everybody. One, two, three. That was so lame. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Amen. Amen. Praise God for that. So there's two persons, two beings, two births, two sets of beliefs, two sets of desires, two sets of loyalties, two masters, and, and we struggle. It can be a very painful struggle. But now go to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see something. Ephesians chapter 2. Of course, we've looked at this, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, Among whom also, what are those next two words? What are those next two words? And all means all, that's all that all means. Doesn't it sound better without his, his dopey accent when you say it? It's better. So now, now notice what it says, verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by what? Nature, the children of wrath, even as others. So the first man that I want you to understand, and it's vital that you get this to understand the Christian life, and that's the natural man. The natural man is the lost man who is apart from Christ, apart from hope, apart from, from all that is good and godly. That's the natural man. The natural man is the lost man. And all of us were by nature the children of wrath, even as are others. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I know that you've seen this passage talking about how to study the Bible, and, and, but I want you to understand it in our context. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man, he fulfills the desires of the flesh. They control him. He's governed by his physical senses, and he has no spiritual discernment. That's the natural man. That's, that's everybody that's around us. That's the natural man. Then let's look at the spiritual man, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So the spiritual man is the saved man walking in the Spirit. Right? So the natural man is the lost man. The spiritual man is the saved person walking in the Spirit. How many of you can honestly, you understand the difference between those two? Right? So that, that's the two men, spiritual man. 
His life is guided by what does the Bible say? All right, hold your place here in 1 Corinthians 2. Go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Galatians 6 and verse 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are, what's that word? Spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of weakness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the spiritual man. The spiritual man is one who lives for others. The spiritual man knows God and is at peace. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, now let me ask you all a question. How many of you are saved? Would you raise your hands? You're saved. Okay, and I'm almost done. Just stay focused with me just for a couple of minutes more. You're saved? Right? So now let me ask you a question. How many of you, and don't raise your hand right here, you could say, I'm genuinely at peace. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace spiritually. I'm not in spiritual turmoil. I'm not in emotional turmoil. I'm at peace. Can you say that? If you can't, it's because, listen, either, now, there are emotional problems that require medication. I'm not one of these people that says never take medication. I mean, I take Prilosec so that I can drink coffee. We, take, we all take medication. I take, I take allergy medication. If somebody has some kind of an imbalance and you need medication for that, take the medication. I'm just going to pray my way out of it. Well, pray your way out of the acid reflux. Are y'all with me on this? Man, Christians are the stupidest people in the world. We listen to the stupidest advice from the world. Right? You have some fat preacher preaching to you about self-control. Physician, heal thyself. Okay? Now, I digress. So look at what it says in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we have the natural man, that's the lost man, apart from God. The spiritual man, that's the saved man walking in the Spirit. He, he's at peace and he, he lives for others. But then there's the carnal man. Look at Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So who's the carnal man? The carnal man is the saved man living like the lost man. Do you understand that's where most Christians are? We're saved, but we live like lost people. We spend our money like lost people. We make our decisions like lost people. We respond to trouble like lost people. And so what happens? We get what lost people get, which is unease, trouble, all kinds of issues that we should never have to deal with if we were spiritually minded. Let me give you an example. You're talking to, to a friend. You're saved. Your friend's not saved. Your friend's having marriage trouble. And he says, his wife says something to him. And here's what you say in Christian love. Well, I'll tell you what I'd tell her. Why? Because you're carnal. You know what you ought to tell him? You need to dwell with her according to knowledge. You get to treat her like the weaker vessel. You need to treat her with honor and love. 
But that's not nearly as fun as saying, well, you know what I'd tell her? I'd tell her, go home and bake some cookies. <laughs> carnal man. Carnal man. Look at verse 7, Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity, that's war, is enmity against God. What a glorious knowledge that we've been given, this liberty to serve God in freedom. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter at Passion, the number eight, underscore preach, Facebook at Passionate Preaching, or email podcast at passionatepreaching.com with any questions. Well, I hope you have a wonderful weekend and enjoy the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus.